we're a push information society just now with YouTube, with social media, with news networks, etc. Do some work yourself. If you don't know something, don't just say there, well, I don't know it, and I'm not going to learn about it until you teach me. Be proactive. Get out there and proactively try and find out something if you don't know what it is. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast. Before I introduce this week's guest, I want to ask everybody to support the show by taking a few minutes to leave a review so I can read it on the air. I'm sitting here this afternoon with Alan Bernard, Senior Vice President of Gyrodata. Alan, how are you doing today? I am doing fabby dabby dandy. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's beautiful sunshine outside. It's uh, 75 degrees Fahrenheit. It's about 60 degrees warmer than it was this time last week. Uh, no kidding, right? Your house good? Yeah, we protected it. We did the four Ps. So uh, first thing I did, the only thing I did really well was empty uh, all the pipes of water. So when uh, the freeze did come, I didn't have any issues. So. Oh, good. Good that for was one you. Thing, one thing I did correct. Yeah. <laughs> you know, bipolar weather. That's what Texas is all about, apparently. Well, you can probably tell from my accent. I'm from Scotland. Uh, we're used to miserable weather, but it doesn't go. <laughs> for, it doesn't go from really, really miserable to summertime in the space of three days. I know. <laughs> so, Alan, let's discuss how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Oh, you're talking about a long time ago now. It was back in uh, 1988. So, I was working part time in the company I'm currently employed with, Gyrodata, when I was studying. They had a calibration facility where they calibrated gyros. And uh, they needed to do that not only nine till five during the day, but also in the evening, overnight, and at the weekends. So I was I was studying, but then at the weekends or uh, overnights, occasionally I would work uh, a graveyard shift or a weekend shift, um, and that was my introduction to Jarity. It was a part-time employee while studying, and then when I finished studying, I said, "Hey, would you like to come and work for us full-time?" And thereafter, I became a full-time employee in the office, and very quickly then. I think it was about three, four months after that, I was offered a job offshore as a field engineer. And from that point onwards, it was my foot was firmly on that rung in the ladder, and I was I was on board full-time with Gyrodata. Oh, that sounds like it went really smooth. Do you have any challenges during that time? Um, not then. It was uh, back when you're young and in your early 20s, you're very, very ambitious. Um, Gyrodata was a very small company at that time. I think in, in Aberdeen, Scotland, there was maybe about maybe 15 employees in the Eastern Hemisphere, maybe 20, 25 employees. So it was an amazing family atmosphere, great people. It was very technical. I mean, it was a challenge being so young in an industry full of a lot older people. Yeah. So probably the biggest challenges was was ageism, I'll be honest with you, that you arrived on a rig as an early 20-year-old. You knew what you were doing with the tools, but you're humbled by the everything you still had to learn about a rig site and a rig. And then, obviously, some of the uh, older people on the rig are a little bit obstinate. <laughs> so that, that was probably the biggest challenge was as a new graduate coming out onto the rig and really dealing with the age. Yeah, you, weren't, you were immediately 
looked down upon because you're young, that you, you obviously not, you're not wise, you're not experienced, you're not knowledgeable, which was probably the, the greatest challenge early on in my career. Yeah, because I mean, there, there's people on the, you know, the rig that, that can hear something and know that there's something wrong. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about your current role. Well, I can run you through very quickly, like three decades, fast forward with a 16 times speed. So I was a field engineer in Aberdeen and then moved into the office. First opportunity, uh, I really wanted to uh, move up the uh, the ranks of Jardy to into a management structure mm-hmm. within management. So moved on shore as a supervisor and then an opportunity came up in 1993. Uh, hey, Alan, would you like to go to Abu Dhabi for a couple of weeks? And I went, Abu Dhabi, where is that, that you, where's that place that you speak of? Yeah. So I had to uh, find my old paper encyclopedia, find out where Abu Dhabi was, and then uh, it was jump on a plane, and I went there for two weeks, but I stayed for six months. And then at the end of six months, I said, look, Alan, would you like to work in Abu Dhabi full-time? I went, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> right? Straight to Abu Dhabi. I really loved that. Met my, my, my amazing wife there, and we had our children there in Abu Dhabi and Qatar. Spent 10 years in the Middle East, and then uh, an early millennium, 2003, 2004, I said, hey, Alan, would you like to look after Middle East as well as the uh, the Far East and combined, but you need to move to Kuala Lumpur? And I was like, hmm, yeah, I'll, I can do that. So we then shifted, the family shifted to Kuala Lumpur and then started looking after, uh, as a regional vice president, all of Jaradita's business in the Middle East and Asia Pacific. And that continued all the way through to 2015, 2016. And at that time, our company, along with a lot of others, went through changes because of the downturn mm-hmm. and some of the original founders of Jardy retired and some of the management were retrenched and then an opportunity arose in Houston where my current boss the CEO said hey Alan would you like to come to uh, the land of milk and honey and I went <laughs> well my entire career I thought I'd never live in America but shucks I think I've got no option here but I, need to, <laughs> I think I need to jump on a plane now and come to Houston and uh, be part of the uh, executive management team so I've always wanted to drive the bus. I've always wanted to give direction to the company. And after 30, 32 years, uh, I've learned a lot globally. So that was a, it was a really welcome challenge to come to Houston and be part of the executive team. So I'm now uh, the senior vice president for Gyradata, reporting to my CEO, and uh, look after all global operations, sales and marketing, engineering, manufacturing, training, basically everything apart from the uh, support services that report through to my boss. That's a lot to take on. Keeps me busy. <laughs> so if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Well, I'm I'm not very good at giving advice. I like listening to people and I seem to be a shoulder to cry on sometimes. But when I was young, I didn't fall into the trap that I mentioned about uh, being young on a rig. I felt that every position I had in Jaradita as I was promoted, I always seemed to be the youngest person in the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was a regional manager in my in my 30s. I was dealing with other regional managers of other companies that were in their 50s or 60s. So I always felt young, but and I never I never worried too much about it. It's just like Alan, you just need to keep on learning. Yeah. When you think you know everything, you've failed. Yeah. So advice to myself is never stop learning and never think you actually know what you're doing. Every single day of my life, I'm learning something new, whether it's emotional intelligence or it's a new piece of information in the world or just like 20 minutes ago, I had the word agreeance. Now, I'd never heard of the word agreeance. I've just learned that the word agreeance is actually a word, yeah? 
Mm-hmm. So that was just like 20 minutes ago. And it's just so, it's just that whole learning experience of never, ever, ever stop learning, never stop reading, never stop finding out a little bit more about how your tools work or your equipment works or how really the oil field or macroeconomics. Just keep on learning continuously. Yeah. And that's something I've really got a lot of energy for. It's just if I don't know something, find out, learn about it. Yeah. I mean, we've got these handheld computers in our hands, you know? Well, so, some people wait for information to be pushed to them. Well, are you going to train me? Are you going to tell me what that is? And that's the wrong way around. So the advice for some of the younger people that are listening to this call is don't expect information to be pushed to you. We're a push information society just now with YouTube, with social media, with news networks, etc. Do some work yourself. If you don't know something, don't just say there, well, I don't know it. And I'm not going to learn about it until you teach me. Be proactive. Get out there and proactively try and find out something if you don't know what it is. Very fair. What book influenced you the most and why? Well, I mentioned about driving a bus. So, again, Jim Collins, uh, the Good to Great series is something that from a long, long time ago, it was like 10, 15 years ago, was level five leadership. Leaders who are humble but driven to do what's best for the company. And that really hits home to me, yeah that you, you see why are some of these companies that went from good to great so successful. It's really the type of level five, five leadership they were. The culture of a mm-hmm. company, the culture of discipline is really something to me which is, is really, really important. The hedgehog concept, I don't know if you're aware of that. Again, confronting brutal facts. Don't, like if something's gone wrong in the company, don't, don't just keep on pretending it's not there. They, you've really got to confront the brutal facts of issues and if you're not honest to yourself and your company then you'll never you've never changed from being an average company to a great company so good to great is it's a book i've read probably a dozen times now most of the people working on my team or our team i've read it as well and it's, it's something for me that's really transformed the way i thought about our company and business in general gotcha and you're not the first person to mention that book so i've heard great to good things about it what is your most used business tool? Well, I would reverse that question. What do you mean by a tool? Something that increases productivity or just something where you end up all day using it? Oh, it could be either or, or both. I mean... Well, if it was a year and a half ago, I might have had a different response. But today, video conferencing is something Microsoft Teams, yeah, which is what our company uses, and I know personally I use Zoom, has really, really transformed the way I do business day to day. I can't travel as much as I, I could do before. But even if I could travel now, just the, the adoption of people feeling comfortable in a 10-person Teams call, all with video, is just, it was unheard of two years ago. If I, even though I had the capability and features, when we had a conference call with our global regional managers, it was an audio call. We didn't really yeah, think and of probably that. a conference room, right? Yeah, and it, we, we never really seen each other's the face or facial expressions or the nuances of a, a body language. And so for me, probably the, the tool that's really changed things so much for me personally is this video conferencing. Family-wise as well, we have our Sunday Zoom calls with the family. And it just brings a, a personal touch to business that's missing just now because of the COVID restrictions. Yeah, understood. Who's your most respected competitor? Well, we've got one main competitor. It's a competitor I've been, I don't want to use the First World War as an analogy, but we've been in, I've been in the trenches with this company for, for a long, long time. And it's, I think if you have more than one main competitor, it's easier. 
Um, you don't tend to be quite as aggressive against each other. But we've gone for the last, well, since I joined Jardy to 1988, it's basically us and them. They win market share, we regain it. We win market share, they regain it back and forth. We technically trump them again and again and again, and they try and play catch up. So our, our main competitors are forced to be reckoned with. Maybe it's not the same force today as it was five years ago, but it's. Uh, there's, I admire a lot of the systems they have and uh, their marketing and some of their sales and some of the people that work there. So, but we don't tend to focus on our competitor too much. We're normally, we don't always, or I personally don't look like, oh, oh, their competitor, our competitor, our competitor. I tend to use more of the uh, the Amazon way of doing it and the Intel way of doing it in the 1970s, where they had Operation Crush. Mm-hmm. where they weren't really looking at their competitor. They're looking at themselves internally and saying, right, what's the goal that we need to, to get to? What's our key objectives and uh, OKRs? Let's focus on ourselves and all of our energy and attention to ourselves, and then achieve the goal, which is for Intel in 1971 was basically annihilation. Yeah, they wanted to dominate the processor market. So for us, I respect our main competitor hugely, but I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on it. Most of the time, it's internally focused to, to reach an objective. Understood. Yeah. Why is your role now important to the future of the oil and gas industry, Alan? Well, the oil and gas industry is changing so much. We're we're having drilling automation. We're having digital transformation. We're having less new blood coming into the industry. We've got an aging population within oil and gas industry as well. So to try and answer your question is, for me, I'm I'm still relatively young, is to learn from the lessons of the last three and a half decades that I am where I am today in my thought process and like to think I'm reasonably wise and wisdom comes from experience and learning from your mistakes. So for me, it's people like myself that are still relatively young and still have a decade or so to give to the oil and gas industry is learning from the experience of people that have been through four or five rodeos, some good, some bad, but we've learned our lessons from it and we are today because of what, ha- what we learned in the past. Well, speaking of lessons, what's your most important lesson learned? Don't be complacent. <laughs> yeah. So there's many times in my life where I thought everything was going really, really well. And I didn't do the risk assessment correctly, or I didn't do the, the risk register fully. And then it's wham. Yeah, just just when you least expect it, what you thought was going to be a really, really good project or a really, really good outcome just completely collapses. So for me, it's the it's not fear of failure or, or the fear of uh, success. It's just the fear of becoming complacent where you think you're Nokia, you think you're BlackBerry. Yeah? And that's some analogies I use internally with the company. It's just, guys, why was Nokia the biggest telephone company or cellular company in the world for mobile devices not that long ago? Yeah, Every single person had a Nokia. Maybe not, I don't know about in America, but internationally, Probably three out of every four phones that somebody had was some version of uh, Nokia. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we had them here. Yeah, yeah. that's one of the first then, ones. I mean, then, you could drop it and it would catch it on the bounce and it would still work. Well, you're, you're probably too young to understand predictive techs and T9s. and. Oh, I know that. I remember all that. We've come a long way where it takes me 500 uh, minutes to send a two-line text message to my wife. Yeah. But so the, I think I'm not saying these companies were complacent, but they didn't understand their markets. So they became complacent of their clients and users and buyers of their products. And that's that's what I'm saying about complacency, not just personally, but also with your clients. 
that if you think you'll get repeat business just because you've always said repeat business, you're going to end up like Nokia or BlackBerry, where if you're not in tune with the market and you're not chameleon-like with changes in the market, especially in the last year or two, you will end up the same way as them. You'll end up with a reduced market share, and eventually, I think Nokia was sold to Microsoft for peanuts, yeah? I think so. BlackBerry, I don't even know if they exist anymore. But they were billion, billion dollar companies in the heyday. Yeah, and that kind of ties back into what you said about always keep learning, always keep reading. Don't, you know, that whole complacency factor. Yeah, correct. Right. Do you have a favorite podcast? Uh, Definitely you guys. Oil and Gas Industry Podcast is one that is, I know you've got thousands of downloads every episode. The content is informative. It's something I listen to quite a lot. I don't have a lot of time to listen to podcasts in general, um, really because my commute just now has been uh, has yeah. been after. I don't, I'm normally working from home, and uh, when I'm at home, I tend to be working most of the time. So, But when I do listen to podcasts, it's definitely you guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks for joining me. In fact, if people want to reach out to you or get to know more about Gyrodata, how might they go about doing so? They can go to our website, www.chiodata.com, or they can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, and just search for my name and Gyrodata, and you'll find me. Perfect. All right, and I'll make sure links are in the show notes for everybody so they can click and get in connection with you. Thank you very much. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for March 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, our OGGN Here and Now live event on March 4th at Churrasco's in the Memorial area of Houston, Texas, and the Texas Wildcatters Open at Black Horse Golf Club in Cypress, Texas. Next up, we have our three online events, Sarah Week from March 1st to 5th, Transformathon from March 1st to 7th, and the TAMU SBE Career Enhancement event on March 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for March. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.